This is One North Stories. Our goal here is quite simple. We provide hyper-local, brand-based storytelling at the intersection of science, technology, and business here in Singapore with a global perspective. We are starting with a launch series focused on technology startups, and then plan to take the podcast broader, telling our stories, your stories, about the Singapore deep tech ecosystem. Whether you work as a venture capitalist on Sand Hill Road or in Southeast Asia, already doing R&D in Singapore, or perhaps a student dreaming big about technology, or someone in between. Join us to learn about the exciting technology being developed in our labs in Singapore, their translation journeys to market, and the inspirational people coming together to make yesterday's dream reality. If you have future episode ideas, segment ideas, or want to partner with us on this exciting journey, please get in touch. Our contact details are in the show notes. These are our stories. We hope they inspire you to create your own. And now, on to the show. I like to think of unreasonable and impossible things. The, the future of robots question really comes down to what makes a better worker or what makes a better robot worker. There are people who make robots. They try to make more sophisticated robots. It's very hard. So what we want to do is to, you know, ship them our hardware, ship them our algorithms. You know, we zap that robot into being this like super sophisticated and capable robot. What we want is a piece of Merlabs in every robot uh, one day, right? Uh, I always say, you know, uh, someday, one day, we'll get there. And every time you open a robot, there's our logo inside there somehow. For this launch episode, I've sat down with Gabriel Yi from Mir Labs, a Singapore startup developing systems to enable robots to do unimaginable things. We discuss his background, a bit of Greek mythology, the future of robots, unconstrained innovation through unreasonable dreams, and that famed Wayne Gretzky quote applied to technology. Gabriel shares his ambition for the company, having a piece of Mir Labs in every robot. On to our interview. Gabriel, welcome to One North Stories. We're very happy to, to have you here sharing with us your journey from, from the NA Star Lab to, to starting up your company. So could you start off by sharing with us a bit about your background, your early interest in science and technology and experiences prior to Mir Labs? Okay, so I think one of the things that people don't know is that I, don't, I didn't come from a research background in my undergraduate days. In fact, I came from SMU, right? It's not traditionally a place where people go to do research. And I think one of the interesting things is that in my last year, you know, you had a bit more time because you finished most of your courses. So I took a job at the Living Analytics Research Center. And basically they're looking at people and how they travel and how analytics, before analytics became cool, to understand the world. And then from there, I was working on this very niche field called agent-based simulation systems. And I think it's quite a rare capability. So I was recruited to ASA to help out, you know, with some work on complexity theory. And then I thought that, you know, after doing that for a few years and, you know, complexity theory, supply chain management, operations research, I started to move. That's where I started to go into wireless sensor networks or what they call IoT now. And then we moved on to manufacturing ICT, which is what they call digital twins now. And you know, just before I left, we were starting to work on indoor drones and robots. Now, I think the interesting thing about my time in, in ASTAR um, or, or SimTech was that I'm, I was never an RS. I was more of an RE, but I was running research teams, right? So I think, I think that's proof that you know, <laughs> REs can do more than wash test tubes. Yeah. So as, as we think of work, I, I think one of the things that I, I learned is that, um, you know, the work that you do, what's really important is what's not seen in your work, the time you put in after hours. 
you know, the work that you do while people are relaxing or they're sleeping or they're entertaining yourself, right? I like to think that I became better as a researcher because I was reading, I was reading research papers. I was trying to understand the general academic paradigm, the general industry paradigm, and, and you know, spending a lot of time identifying places where you can create, you can create something disruptive, where you can do something, right? And then from there, you know, I always say that, you know, if you want opportunities, you either harass your bosses into giving you the opportunity to work on it. You know, if you're lucky enough, which we were, they really happen to want to work on it. And then they give you the opportunity to lead it. Uh. Yeah, so I think if I can say anything about, you know, my, my time in research before spin-off is that I, I feel that anyone can do research, but it's very easy to be a face in a crowd. What you really want to do is to be the one that the crowd faces. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Gabriel. So then, I mean, when we when we look a little bit at Mirror Labs, you know, kind of the side or the one of the, the pitches or way it's looked at is as a robotics or robotics technology company. So could you tell us a little bit how you, let's say, pivoted or uh, applied your experiences and then get interested into robotics? I think our, our time for robotics is, is interesting, right? We were building robots, of course, but I think before we hit robotics, we were working on other things. Like for me, I was working on wireless sensor networks. So you're talking about hardware level, creating sensors that are different. And that, Again, my opinion really influenced how we, we work today. You know, in ASA, we, we get to meet a lot of companies. So most of these robot companies, we kind of know them. And we didn't want to come out to be a robot company that goes into competition with these guys that we have had over the years, these guys that we have, you know, friendships with and all that. So we started to look back at our research and, you know, that's where, you know, we identified this niche in the market where there's a real shortage of sophisticated hardware. There's a real shortage in sophisticated algorithms and translating all this research work into you know, algorithms that people use and eventually into hardware products that people can just slot into their robots. Yeah. So that's that's how we, we got to today. Okay, great. Thanks. So so today we're here. You've started a company called Meridian. Very interesting name. So when, when we look that up, I find it has its origins in, in Greek mythology and defined as as a follower or subordinate of a powerful person, typically carrying out orders without question. Um, so could you share with us a backstory on, on how you chose the name of this company? Yeah, I think uh, we, we, we talked about this before we left, right? And the idea is what do we give the name of the company? And you know, if you look around, there's a lot of people who have this idea of like Prometheus stealing fire from the gods. Yeah, okay. Uh, all, all tech companies always go through that. They think that you're yeah, giving something from the gods to the humans. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. Interesting, right? <laughs> but I think we, we chose Mervidon for the other part of the Mervidons, right? That nobody hears of, you know, the part where, you know, in the Iliad, Zeus came to, to this island and, you know, after a plague wiped out a lot of people, they saw he saw a couple of ants, and you know, with his magic finger, he zapped them into you know these very powerful warriors. And so that's what we really want to do with our work, right? There are people who make robots; they try to make more sophisticated robots. It's very hard. So what we want to do is to you know ship them our hardware, ship them our algorithms, and like Zeus, you know, we zap that robot into being this like super sophisticated and capable robots. Yeah. Okay, brilliant, great, great story. I mean, turning your robots, your sorry, taking your technology and enabling others' robots to to perform better, ultimately beyond beyond capabilities that they originally dreamed or originally thought of. So, your company, Mir Labs, you founded in 2018, and I've heard you use the term reluctant entrepreneur before. Could you share with us a little bit about your founding story? Okay, so there's many. There's many stories about us, right? Uh, why we left and how we left and, and all that. But I, I, I think the one that I like the most is that we, as in I and my co-founders, who were originally my research team. Basically, it's a story of how we, we wanted more. And A-Star, you know, like any large research entity, it's, it's, it's a machine. And of course, we understand the reasons for the machine's existence, right? There are years of reputation. There's a hierarchy of people to respect and a certain stability that's needed to keep everything going for everybody. 
But I think the, the problem with young people in the, <laughs> in the last organization is that we are young and we want more, right? To be given a chance to be part of the machine. But, you know, as, as young people, when, when we look around, when we see people doing even greater stuff, I mean, we, we start asking questions. And one of these questions is whether we can be greater than them. We look at it, we try to figure out how they do it. We start believing that we can be greater than them and, and we started to want more, right? And so, you know, I, I was a research lead um, in my research team. I think they're good kids, right? They're good engineers, good people. I felt that they deserve to be in an organization that they can help unleash them rather than chain them up in bureaucracy and, and you know, taking orders from other people. I mean, I, I think at a point of time, we were right smack in the field that's about to explode. Popularity in, in market size, or in, in the amount of influence and benefits they can bring to the world. So, you know, collectively, we, we looked at whatever that's in front of us and we decided that the right thing to do is to, to get out of the machine. Okay, great. So, I mean, getting out of the machine to spread your wings, to expand, to, like you said, unleash, unleash the powers, unleash the potential of, of both the team and the technology directions that you're looking at. Building on that, you chose to spin out the company instead of developing it within SimTech. Could you ex expand on that a little bit more? I think it's always that, that two things, right? You have to choose between spin-off and continuing development in the place that you're in. And I think this, this, this comes to my, my personal belief, right? I think that when the public pays for something, they should get it back. Papers that they have to pay again just to read it. But in, in my opinion, realizable improvements to daily living. At least they, they should see it running around, they should see it working, they should feel their life being better. And so I, I think it's the duty of researchers to get out of the lab and to make their research work real. And, you know, we are very tech and all this hardware and all that. And so that means products, right? But, you know, I think the, the fact of the matter is that ASA is not the place for products. And that's why, you know, the organization whole, you know, part of what we want and part of what they want to, we were encouraged and given a lot of support to, to go on our own and turn our research to products. Okay, that's great. I mean, absolutely taking, taking the tech and, and building onto it to, to, to bring it to market to have full impact. So speaking of your technology and, and the market kind of that you saw in 2018 markets today, have you pivoted your, your tech or your company in terms of the technology or the markets that you're facing or, or looking to serve? My, my, my opinion, right? I, I don't think we have, but of course I think uh, there are plenty of others who, who look at us and see differently. I think what, what people don't see is that for the robot work that we do, we have a 10 to 20 year vision of how robots will change, how will they be seen and how will they be used. And so when you have a 10 to 20 year vision, you're not building one product. You're building an entire ecosystem of, of capabilities, right? Each of them solving and making breakthroughs on the wicked problems that is preventing current research from, from getting to that 10 to 20 year goal. And I like to think that, you know, our time in ASTAR was very helpful and we learned a lot from the experience in how to organize research, the methodologies, how to have a roadmap. And, and so right now, we, we do put our technologies on the TRL scale and then we allocate staff to work on TRL 3, 6 and 9 technology lines, right? So our positioning and communications technology lines are TRL 8 to 9. So the majority of the work is on focusing and coordinating the operations between the manufacturing and our partners to get things done, to get things produced, put in a box and then distributed. The new thing that we're working on right now, which is quite sophisticated, is a hardware stack of, of generic uh, robot perception capabilities. So a lot of work is going there to you know, make it more ready and ready to be commercialized. And I think at the lower TRL levels, we have interns who are helping us with testing out concepts for robot, human-robot interactions. And we are trying to get all these done without using ads or devices. So a naked human and a naked robot can talk to each other without any issues. Yeah. Okay, great. Thanks. I mean, that's very interesting. I mean, you're, you're a small company, but you've got this long-term vision, you know, with the, the brand new stuff that, that, that you're just testing out with interns and then your hardware stack still developing and then things that are 
fully ready for engagement with your partners in your positioning and, and communications technology. Moving on a little bit, we've 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 just come out or we're, we're coming out of COVID. The last two and a half years, everyone experienced that a little bit differently, affected it very differently. So you guys started about a year and a half before that. So could you explain a little bit, like how has your journey been through, through through the whole COVID experience? Well, I have my 10 to year vision. Uh, there's a roadmap of things that we are working on, but I, I think we, we, we had to revise it a lot. Um, you're right. I think we, we came out just a year before COVID you know, and you know, we're ready to hit the market. That's the most people part, right? We're ready to commercialize and that's when COVID happened and wow, like, like all the research world almost had to throw away. Yeah. And I think the, the more upsetting part was that just before COVID hit, right? We, we actually got second at some international uh, startup challenge and it's not a trivial challenge. I, I, I think it was quite tough. Our, our competitors were from Israel, US, Canada, Japan, Australia, and, and, and Germany. Right? And all these are advanced economies. And then I, when, we, when we look at the work that they are doing, actually, we're kind of surprised that we got second. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, I mean, that, that, there's a lot of interesting things that we're doing in our positionism. Yes, it's going to change a lot of things. But, I mean, compared to the others, I don't know. So, you know, before COVID hit, we were, we, we were all ready to scale, you know, and get big. Uh, we met all the factory people that's going to produce our products, we met the distributors, so there's the right price and, and, and all the packaging and all that was done. I think one of the things was that we, we, we had support from a super large Japanese company. We were supposed to move to Japan for like two or three months to test our technology there. And, and if it was successful, it would be implemented, so it would have been very great. And, and we even met the ventures team uh, for that company. Yeah, so, you know, COVID happened and we had to like put all that aside, so it's, it's, it's really, really painful. But I, I think if we look at it now, I, I think the thing I'll say is that we, we survived it, right? And COVID forced us to rethink a lot of plans. I like to think it's for the, for the better, right? Because there's a lot more focus now on making our technologies more suitable for cross and multi-application usage. I mean, I, I would say it's still all about the robots for us, but we are discovering a lot more applications and usage for our technologies outside our robots. And I like to think that it's because we are solving real-world problems and our, our work is creating real-world value. Okay, thanks. It's very interesting to, to hear how, how, you know, initially a setback, but then, you know, looking at it and then bigger picture and then refocusing and, you know, emerging today with the company and even bigger goals and, and bigger visions of, of where you want to go. So speaking of implementing that, Meridian's still still quite small as a company. Could you tell us a little bit about the number of employees you have, the, the, the makeup of your team? Right. Okay. So there's currently eight people, right? Everyone's a developer or engineer, except for me. I do all the BD, all the HR, and I, I play support so that everybody else can, can become part of carries. If you look at the makeup of our team, there's definitely, uh, how I structured my research team in A-Star, right? There's always the software people and the hardware people. And my two co-founders think that, right? So when the three of us left, one took all the hardware and all robots, the other took all the software. But we are more hardware heavy right now. We have two embedded engineers, we have two electronics engineers and two robotics engineers, right? And that's how everything is, is, is structured. It's really hardware heavy and, and less of the software because we've, we found that over time, you know, the software always plays a complement. Your true value and the true innovation, there must be a merge between software and hardware, but it generally only happens when you have a unique hardware that can unlock a certain potential that software can. So speaking of staffing, could you share a little bit about your interview process when you're looking to, to hire new staff? Well, okay. Uh, okay. So uh, if you look at our website, we do, we do tell people that it's, it's tough. It's tough to get to us, right? And we make it tough on purpose. But I, I think at a high level, uh, basically there are, there are two sessions, right? We start out with a long lunch or dinner. And then after that, if we like you, we call you back for an assessment session. The, the long lunch or dinner is primarily to figure out if we like the person, right? and to check in a very informal level whether the stuff on their resume is real or not. I mean, we have our ways of figuring out whether they're lying. Yeah, so that's generally what we do. And the, the, lo the logic here is that if we cannot even tolerate a, a lunch with that person, 
or extended lunch with a person, how are you gonna tolerate working with them, right? And and so I mean, practically the the reason why we make things tough is is that uh, we hire for specific goals and outcomes. For me, in my position, it's more complicated because I have to work around you know allocated budgets to ensure that our cash flows or our cash reserves you know work double or triple hard uh, compared to compared to any other else that we do. And so all these long interactions and even the assessment session allows us to gauge uh, the true technical aptitude of the, the candidate to assess if they have the right character and motivations. And it's also, I, I like to think, it's a chance for them to assess, to see whether this is the right environment to work with. Is this, are we the right people to work with? Are we the, going the right path or the same one that they are working, uh, they are going with? Yeah, because I, I don't know, I mean, maybe it's just me, but uh, my idea here is that what, what's two very long three to four hour sessions compared to weeks and months of eight hour days working together with other people. No, thanks. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's important to have a good fit, especially in a small company and you're right, in, investing, you know, four or five hours, eight, nine, 10 hours to spend, you know, the next two, three, four years of your life working on this technology is very important to have good fit. Ultimately, you guys are building technology for robotics. Can you share with us a little bit about your vision on the future of robotics technology? And where Mirror Labs plays a role or can, you know, complement and amplify what's going on. Okay, uh, I'm a very robotic person. <laughs> Not because I like robots, but there's, there's a lot of logical things that goes in my head. Uh, and, you know, I think when we, when we look at, when we ask about the vision for, for the future of robotics, right? I'm a lot more motivated through the lens of economics rather than, you know, something that's artistic or creative or something that's imaginary. I, I, I think it's very important to understand why something is produced, or why it's distributed and why is it consumed. And, you know, my, my take is that it's still a very rational world even if you want something good. And so because of all that, I think it's quite important to understand the position of robots in, in the chain of being, right? And if we understand it well, robots are just instruments that are meant to be put to work. I mean, you can love the robots, or you can aspire them to be sentient, you can, you know, get them to be whatever image you want them to be. But, you know, the, the fact is that for the grand majority of humanity, and, you know, even my, my opinion are for the, probably the next century or, or more, everyone's going to see them as workers. So... The, the future of robots question really comes down to what makes a better worker or what makes a better robot worker. And obviously, I think the answer is more productivity, right? You want to be able to crank out new robots faster. You want robots to work even faster. And you want more robot sophistication faster. So again, to me, what that means is the good robots that we see in 10 years' time should not be something that we can see or understand today. They should be capable of doing things that we cannot do today which means that they will be engineered different. Uh, they will function They will function differently and they will operate completely differently. But my, my thing is that you, you cannot get there if you know, all the improvements in the fundamental technologies progress at the speed of academic safety or, or logic. There are fundamental problems with even basic robot needs, such as positioning, communications, decision-making, and perception and actuation. So I, I think for me, it's, it's really a private enterprise that has to come in to, to provide uh, that breakthrough. So yeah providing the breakthroughs that, that will enable the future, making robots better workers, better workers for us in, in what we want them to do. And, you know, you need, you need a great vision to, to do that. So could you share with us, where, where do you get your inspiration from for all of this? You know, I, I think a lot of people will, will think that I will, I will quote from some sci-fi movie or, or game universe. They're going to be disappointed because that's not the case. <laughs> My, Again, not, not that I'm trying to be a gatekeeper, but you know, all these stories are usually crafted by non-engineers. So their, their imagination is kind of limited. They don't actually know how far materials can go or how actuation can go or how smart computers can be, right? Again, I, I think for, for us, especially for, for robots and, and what we've seen thanks to ASTAR, 
the latest developments that we, you know, at least for me, very paranoidly keep updated on. I, I think we're kind of at the tip of the spear of what we do. And, and you know, for us, I, I think the very sad thing is that there's really no inspiration anymore, right? Right now, you either, at least for us, uh, you either look around and you beat the other guys at what they're doing at, or, you know, you, you think of some capability that the academics think is unreasonable or impossible and then go build it, right? And, and, and that's really what we are doing, right? Most academics look around and they try to find problems that they can solve straight away. But I like to think of unreasonable and impossible things. Like, what will it take to build a space station that's bigger than our planet using autonomous robots? Like, what will it take to have a robot travel at 100 km per hour indoors safely and, and not scare people? What will it take for us to build, you know, sophisticated robots that are, that are as easy to put together as building blocks, as easy as a Lego building blocks, right? So, you know, the, the question is, like, how do we get to these goals and, you know, what can we build in the next two to three years that will super scale so that we can generate more revenue that can be employed so that we can accelerate our progress to getting to those unreasonable goals. So I think if you ask where I get my inspiration from, it's, it's not a picture. It's, it's more like the achievements that will change mankind or, or get us our own Wikipedia entry. Yeah. So in terms of getting there, where do you see Labs being in, in, in the next three years or maybe 10 years? Right. Okay, I, th I think definitely we, we should be a much bigger team. There's a lot of work to do. And my, my team is really overloaded. And they are also starting to back from Mercy, which is good because I'm employing them right? <laughs> back productivity, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, but I, I think if you ask me for 10 years, I would like to have our own buildings, right? Our own building where we can control things for ourselves, where we can do whatever we want inside there. I have a few ideas on where I want it to be, what I want it to, to look like, and the functions it's supposed to fulfill. But I think we better keep those thoughts in my head. I, I think they're quite dangerous. <laughs> Leave them there, right? So then, I mean, looking into, into the near future and, and mid future, how would you define success for, for yourself and, and, and your team at Mir Labs? Okay, so we, we, have this, we have this motto from, a very, from the very start of our, our company. Of course, it has changed, uh, but I like, I like to think that, that that's something that I, I, I still look towards in, in deciding whether we're successful. It's that very simple thing where what we want is a piece of more labs in every robot one day, right? I always say, you know, someday, one day, we'll get there. Every time you open a robot, that's our logo inside there somehow. Okay, absolutely brilliant. Not directly applicable today, but it used to be Intel inside and, and someday it'll be Mir Labs inside. Yeah, yeah, exactly just that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, absolutely brilliant. Switching a little bit, could you tell us maybe a little bit more lighthearted question? What, what's the, the best thing that, that you've ever bought? Okay, undoubtedly it's, the, it's, it's my Herman Miller area. Yeah, it's expensive, I don't care. But you know, I think it's the, the best purchase of my life, right? Um, yeah, I don't care what anyone thinks. I think it's the most beautiful chair in the world. I, I think it's also proof that you can have function and beauty in the same package. But I, I think my greatest story about the home builder is not when I bought it, how much it costs, or whether it's beautiful. It's, it's really their, their generous replacement policy. Okay, that, that is something to, to look at, right? Okay, so some, some background to that, right? So I work a lot, probably too much actually. And, you know, I sit on my chair so much uh, that after a few years, I, I wore the, the pedicle. Like, we're talking about holes, like that plastic, that super durable plastic, like wearing them out and their holes. So I was like, oh no, like this is, this is bad. And so I, I messaged Herman Miller, right? I, I gave him a few pictures. And then I asked, like, look, can I pay for a replacement? Because I know that royalty, uh, it's past royalty period. And, you know, I, what I really liked was their response, right? They was like, no, we will just, like, send you a replacement. <laughs> I was like, you know, it's, 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 it's weird, right? In Singapore, we ask for a replacement because something is defective. Like, they, they, people, like, they, they fight with you, right? They give yeah. you, like, super ridiculous requests. They hem and haul, and pretty much they do everything but replace it. And, and, and these Hololila guys, are like, they saw the proof, they saw the pictures, and, like, no questions asked. They didn't want to ask me to charge. I even replied there and said, are you sure I don't need to pay? They said, yeah, I don't need to pay. They just like send me the replacement uh, directly. And 
did they send the whole replacement chair or just the part? Oh, just just the part, the the, the pellicle, right? Yeah, and and, and and that's the thing, right? But yeah, it's it's straightforward. They they did put out a fight because they know that their product is good. And I I like to think that you know through the entire experience, I mean, it's small, it's very significant, but I I think it was quite inspiring. And because of that, I I, I try to make sure that Merlets is able to be and like, give that kind of customer service to be very certain of the craftsmanship of, of the work that we do. I want us to be very confident about the quality of our products, right? And so, you know, when, when, when our products is used and there's a fault and we can establish that the fault is because of us, we are responsible enough to, you know, own up to it and, and give restitution without kicking our fuss, right? I, I think this is what we want to be, a good role model for others to, to learn from. Thanks. Great vision for your company and, and how you want to interact with your customers. Anything else you, you want to plug or, or share today? No, I, I, I think... I shared a lot already. Let's, let's uh, go to the next one there. I can share more. Okay. Okay, great. And and if our audience wants to to find you, find Mirror Labs, what would be the best way to to get in contact? Uh, <laughs> with a need for our products. <laughs> but I'm sorry, I, I, I don't know. We, we do very little PR because I, I think for a lot of the work that we do, it's not something that uh, the majority of people understand. If I talk about like infrastructure-free positioning, people are like, why do you need positioning? You can do that with Beacon. I say, yeah, but there's a big difference when yeah, doing positioning in millions of square feet and doing something like a few hundred square meters, right? Yeah, so we, we don't generally tell people what we do, but I think if you just keep a lookout, you will hear other people telling our stories of how they use something. So again, if you want to find us, well, we are Start Central. You can come find us here. We'll be here for a while. So there's a website, there's an email at the bottom. Yeah. Okay, great. Thanks. So find find Gabriel and his team here physically at, at One North at, at Start Central or, or use Mr. Google and and find him there through through Mir Labs and, and reach out on his website. Okay, great. Thanks for your time, Gabriel. Appreciate you being here today. Thank you. And with that, thanks for listening. Please hit like and subscribe wherever you are getting your podcasts. Thanks for joining us for our launch series and be sure to look out for future episodes as we explore the intersection of science, technology, and business in the growing Singapore deep tech scene together.